0: So it's great to be here. I just have a question. Why are you all here? Because of me, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Any of you folks um, have any experience with suffering? (laughs) The other thing is uh, do you all, when I say do you all know why you're here, do you know where you are? Do you all realize you all you all are, are on Broadway? <laughs> this is Broadway, this is 331 Broadway Street. <laughs> and the other thing you should be aware of is do you know what this place was before? It was a meditation center. It was a birthing center. It was doctors used to deliver babies here. That's an interesting tidbit, huh? So it's, it's interesting. I'm excited to be here. Uh, today happens to be my birthday as well. Yeah, so. So, so for, how many of you folks know who Jack Benny is? How many people don't know who Jack Benny is? Okay, so Jack Benny was this uh, comedian. And one of the things I loved about Jack Benny was he had this ability, ability to be 39 for 40 years. So I'm not sure I could pull that off but but the idea is um that this is a this has been an exciting life for me um I lived here for six years, and I was just reflecting on that driving into Cambridge here It was interesting it was it was it was quiet, and usually Cambridge is not this quiet, but you can tell at least i can i'm very sensitive i can tell when even when I lived in J.P., I could tell when it was a holiday and people left town. You can just kind of feel it. And um, so when they asked me what I would be willing to do tonight's talk, I said, sure. And um, even though I knew it was the day before Thanksgiving, I said, this ought to be interesting. And usually they kept hounding me, well, what are you going to talk about? And I usually have no idea what I'm going to talk about. So I gave them a title of uh, Thanksgiving reflections, and that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Is just to talk about that. But I don't know about you folks, but how many people look forward to Thanksgiving like it's a great time and you can't can't wait to be with your family members? I mean, like that. How many people have the opposite experience of that? Okay, yeah. So it's a, it's kind of a mixed bag, right? And so the idea is, you know, when I thought about um, reflecting on, on Thanksgiving. And so in this practice, in this Vipassana practice, you know, obviously there's sitting meditation and there's other forms of, of, of practicing. And one of the practices that we have in this form that we don't really talk about that much is what we call wise reflection. And so this is nothing more than just reflecting on on what we're doing and, and what the consequences of what we're doing are, it's, it's not like okay. So we can look at I can look at my own experience and say that um, that I, I've had I've had fifty Thanksgivings since I left high school, and the one I had exactly fifty years ago, I was a, I was a freshman at at UMass in college. And back in those days, we used to go to Thanksgiving Day football games. And this particular football game we went to was uh, English versus Latin. I don't know what they call the schools now, but in those days it was English versus Latin. And we were at the football game, and I was hanging out with my, with my crew. So it was a bunch of us. Uh, I went to Hyde Park, but a bunch of us went to English, so we were at the game. And it was at the game that, that we discovered that one of my friends, Rodney, his mom, he lived in a housing project. His mom was uh, walking in the hallway where they lived with, with his goddaughter. And one of the residents of the project, I guess he was, I don't know what it was, he was distressed. He came out and he, and he killed them with a shotgun. And so that was how I, I spent the rest of my um, birthday and Thanksgiving uh, helping my friend grieve from this this tragedy, and so that that's about it. Out of those fifty, that's the one that was probably the worst. For that, and then there's been other ones that I probably don't remember, and then there's been some. So I spent at least five of those uh, Thanksgivings in this building when I lived here, and this used to be Larry Rosenberg's residence, and I lived downstairs. Uh, where um, Lynn's office is—that used to be my room—but I've only—I was here. For, I lived here for six years, but one year I wasn't here for Thanksgiving because I was doing the, the three-month retreat, and so I spent Thanksgiving in retreat. And I don't even think—I don't know if I can remember whether it was Thanksgiving or not. I know at that time I missed uh, the governor election and I missed the whole Anita Hill hearings because I was in silence for 90 days. We don't—we don't get to watch TV. The only thing we can watch is the bulletin board, (laughs) you know, and people would would do that. So anyway, so reflecting on it, and of course, there's been times when I've been with my family, and one thing I notice about families is, you know, we have no control over who they are and and being with them, and so when I reflect on Thanksgiving, it's a time of really reflecting on what to be thankful for, and so... There's a whole gamut, and I know a lot of people when I, I worked in the field. I worked as a, uh, as a therapist for a little bit, but I work with people. And I have to tell you that holidays are extremely uh, stressful for a lot of people. And some people, because they're away from home, I have a bunch of young ladies that, that play on the field hockey team, and they come from places like New Zealand and Australia and South Africa. So they, they don't get to go home. For the holidays, so there's this mixed bag about well, what is this Thanksgiving about? And of course, some of us, you know, some people when they think of Thanksgiving, is not so thankful because they might be looking at, uh, you know, the pilgrims as invaders, not necessarily uh, folks that they invited into their homes. So there's there's all these mixed bags about what Thanksgiving is about. And the interesting thing about this practice is what one of the things we really reflect on, and one of the things we got to get really clear on is how we are suffering. How do we alleviate or or end that suffering? So the Buddha taught only he taught suffering and the end the suffering. That's all he taught. So you don't get beyond suffering. So we suffer. We are born, we die, we get old, we get sick. But in the midst of, of that existential um, dichotomy, I would say, the idea of, of death and, and life, is how do we relate to it in a way where we can um, have some peace, some ease? We can develop some understanding. And so this idea of reflection, and even a reflection is what they call, um, is, is part of the wise reflection, is this idea of, of four virtuous reflections, and one of them has to do with Around here we call teachers good friends. And so good friends, and then we talk about appropriate uh, conversation or or what I call suitable conversation where we're talking about how do we live or do this thing called life in a way that allows us to be in touch with with our our Buddha nature or or our Christ consciousness or this masterpiece within where we can actually be human in a way where we're we're alleviating and and maybe possibly ending suffering. So how do we relate to this mind-body process in a way? And then the interesting thing is, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but um, some people say we are who we are based on the the network of relationships we're in. So I'm myself, but I live with other people. So somehow I have to figure out how to be me and and how to interact with other people in a way that's wholesome. Does it make any sense? What I'm talking about so this idea of using this time to really just reflect on I talk about the practice and reflecting in a way that that leads us to wisdom leads us to the feeling a little bit less suffering or to actually recognize recognize suffering from an extreme, like when i'm when I'm trying to help my buddy uh, deal with a, a big time loss or a little suffering where. We might be at Thanksgiving. We might be eating dinner and having a being around friends. Yet we feel like there's something missing. You know, it's like I used to have that experience when I lived here. I'd go to a video store and they have like over hundreds of videos, and I can't find one. <laughs> there's something about yeah, that doesn't quite do it. <laughs> you know, and so we have to. If we reflect, we see during the day we have many moments. Like this, and you know, especially now, because we got like a thousand channels, if you take the, you know, uh, if you got Verizon Fios or, or TV, but then when you talk about the Fire Stick and all the other stuff online, not to mention YouTube, there's, there's like, there's got to be, I don't know how many thousands of things we can get engaged in. Yet, we, we are just, we spend most of our time surfing. Am I wrong about that? Or on our phones? You see what I'm saying? So there's this, and so just recognizing that there's this uh unsatisfactoriness, and maybe it has to do with the idea that things are impermanent and they're always changing. Or maybe it has to do with the idea that that suffering, we don't get beyond stress or suffering. Is it there? And maybe it has to do with the fact that we have this illusion of separateness, what we call non-self around here. I like to use it as the illusion of separateness. And so one of the things we offer in, in this, in this uh, environment is how do we deal with life in a way where we can find some peace, some ease, and we can uh, understand how we suffer and how we can reverse that. We can alleviate suffering on an individual level as well as a collective level. So we talk about uh, the Buddha, which is, you know, a person like ourselves that has this this um, capacity for awakening. And then there's a the sangha, and there's a the community of people, whether it's this sangha or, or bigger sangha. There's other people like us that that we can get together and we can talk about how we're going to do this in a way that's, that's wholesome. We also, always talk about whether something is wholesome or unwholesome. And then we have the teaching, the dharma. And that what we do is we get here and we... We get together and we talk about, well, what are the teachings or what teachings can we apply to our lives in a way that helps us to understand how we can, we can understand suffering and the end of suffering, or at least the alleviation of suffering. And so just, just like once again, just coming back here, and I got here early, and I had a pleasant surprise because there wasn't as much traffic, so I got here a little bit early and less stressful, because I don't know about you folks, but if you listen to me talk before, you know that my my road to enlightenment is in the car. <laughs> because I don't know who that dude is that gets in the car when he comes here, but it's not the dude that's sitting up here now. <laughs> and 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 now I'm learning how to observe dude and not take it personal. But, you know, I've had talks coming over here, and I've had people, it seems like anybody who would, who would irritate me was on the road at the same time I was, and and it would get to the point where sometimes. I remember one time I thought I was gonna I use it as a teaching. Instead of driving over here, I'm gonna be mindful and I'm gonna let people in. You know, when when I, I'm gonna stop, let them in. And you know, I started doing that, and I let one person in, and they looked at me like, "What took you so long?" <laughs> and then I could see me just wanting to just like. Ugh! Maybe do some sign language, even though I don't know sign language <laughs> or have a conversation with them they will never hear and and I start realizing wow this this stuff is deep and it's conditioned it's conditioned and it and it has a way of sneaking up on us when we're not paying attention or when I'm not paying attention and so i so now i see see that I'm able to observe that with this from this uh relaxed receptivity. And, be, and seeing it, and just noticing that even before there's an urge for me to do something, there's there's a thought, or there's um, I don't want to say it. There's a there's a there's a mindset that actually has everything to do with how I think and how I how I what I what I think, what I see, how I behave. Where thought indeed. And that a lot of this practice has to do with what we call right view or getting the opposite of greed, which could be generosity. Um, the opposite of, of aversion and hatred, which could be compassion, love, and kindness. Equanimity will work. Uh, appreciative joy will work. And then wisdom or understanding. And so when, when I think of wise reflection, I think of that's, that's a form of wisdom because when I think of wisdom... And here's the interesting thing about, even with me riding in the car, interesting thing is that if there's mindfulness or this un- uncritical observation of my reactions to what's happening when somebody cuts me off, or when I'm just driving and the person in front of me is going too slow, my opinion, um, that I can see the mindfulness, but then I have to have some form of, of wisdom or understanding, which could be in a form of information, intellect or reflecting, being able to have rational thought or reason, and then the idea of this practice is when we talk about something, to not only just see if it's true, but to have a direct experience of what the teaching is. So it's either direct experience or intuition of it. So one of those three things are happening that has to be with mindfulness, so we have this ability... Believe it or not, from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, that we can have mindfulness and wisdom, supporting us and being able to see what's happening, even if it's uh, a rough idea of how my body feels. And I don't know about you folks, but when I get angry, my jaws get tight, you know. And when I get anxious, my my chest goes in, and it's this tightness. And it's as simple as recognizing that I'm in a survival mode. And that the reptilian brain, which is an animal, <laughs> and all it knows is fight, flee, forage, and reproduce. And when I'm in that mode, you could be in trouble because <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling threatened and I'm going to lash out or I'm going to react to things. And there's not going to be any space between stimulus and response and I'm just going to react. But in this practice, we create this space between stimulus and response. So in that space, we can choose to, be, to have non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Or instead of just letting the anger or the frustration uh, dictate how we're going to uh, think and speak and behave, we're able to just pause and say, okay, there's something here. And then the idea is, can, how can I be more compassionate? What is the mindset that is wholesome, that when the mindset is wholesome, then the thoughts and the and the um, words are going to be wholesome and the action is going to be wholesome. Does that make any sense? What I'm talking about. So, just reflecting. So, with me, so having had that experience, I was reflecting while it was happening and noticing things. But I didn't really reflect before and say, okay, George, when you get in this car and when somebody cuts you off or when somebody comes in and looks at you like, what took you so long? How are you going to behave? How, how are you going to? be consistent with, with the loving kindness or the compassion or just having a wholesome uh, experience, whether it's word, thought, or deed? How am I going to do that? So after the fact, I can think about it and say, okay, so I need to reflect on, on that. But so the, during it, I could see myself, and even though I wanted to say something I didn't, but I, I was reflecting in the middle of it, which means I was understanding what was happening and what, what I was getting and understanding that I had the ability to somehow either withhold, which to me is a lot of it is just just don't say anything, don't do anything, just notice how you're feeling and, or feeling it in your body. And then afterwards, when I got here, I could reflect on what happened and realized that even though I had this idea, my mindset very quickly went into to that survival mode, and them not speaking to me, that was like a violent act, or them not giving me a wave, oh, thank you, or I didn't realize I had a, um, I had a conditional, I'll let you in, but you got to tell me thank you, <laughs> right, so... So I was thinking about and so reflecting on that and then thinking about it, then learning about it and say, okay, so how does, the, how does the practice help me with that? What is the practice about when I can reflect on it and say, okay, so what's the mindset that I need to have when I'm out there? So it's as simple as there's survival mode and then there's growth mode. And survival mode is when I'm seeing the bottle is half, half empty or seeing it half full, we call that... Uh, confidence or, you know, faith. And that maybe all I have to know is, okay, I'm in survival mode, and you can't be in survival mode and growth mode at the same time. On a cellular level, we cannot do that. So maybe it's as simple saying, okay, you're in survival mode, so you know what's going to happen. You know it's going to be unwholesome. You know you're going to say something or do something or think something that's not going to be skillful. And then when you're in growth mode... Maybe it's as simple as like, okay, so why don't I bring the quality of interest and see what's really going on here? What is this? Oh, there's suffering going on. And how do I, so how do I allow it to, how do I learn from it? And like everything else, it arises and it passes away. It's impermanent. But I don't know about you folks, but my hand has has uh, Velcro, you know, with the Velcro on it, and whether I grab something because it's pleasant, or I approach it, or if I, avoid it, I, I uh, avoid it because it's unpleasant, my hand has Velcro, so I'm attached to it either way. I'm either either going towards it or going away from it. I'm pulling it with me. And I have to see that it's not personal. This nervous system is not personal. But anything that's pleasant, we approach. Anything that's unpleasant, we Avoid, and if it's neither, we space out. We're not interested. Indifference. I'm not talking about equanimity. I'm talking about indifference, where we don't really care. It's like, okay, that's when we want to get on our phones or surface something because we're in, we're in that, that boredom zone. And so I would say, I'm here to say that we spend most of our time between boredom and anxiety. And so we talk about the middle way here. So maybe the middle way is not being in boredom or anxiety, but being somewhere in the middle where we're not overwhelmed by anxiety and we have enough interest in something where we're able to, willing to pay attention and to try to see, well, what is this? How, am I, how is suffering arising in, me, in my body-mind process? and How can I alleviate it? And the opposite of that is when things are going well and I'm happier, there's joy, there's compassion, there's love. How do I sustain that? How do I maintain that and maybe perfect that? And so how much of it is out here or how much of it is in here? So I just wanted to read you something, some research. It's very interesting. So there's a book called Extraordinary Minds, and Howard Gardner talks about the three things that people do. One of them is reflecting. Reflect on what things mean to us. Reflect on what's helpful, what's not helpful. Uh, second thing is is what he calls leveraging. So we have to know ourselves enough to know what we do really well. How many of us know some of our strong suits of what we do really well? So the idea is how do you leverage that? How do you play to that all the time? And the third thing he talks about is reframing. So reframing is you look at things, but you reframe it. You look at it in a different way. I like to look at it this way. It's like no matter what happens, something happens. We get to interpret what it means or how we interpret it. And here's the interesting thing. 90% of our long-term happiness is predicated on what? Predicated on how our nervous system um, interprets our experience. Not 10%, 90%. So that's just like people saying to me when I wrote my book and I talked about my substance abuse. And they said, man, why would you put that in there? So, I can look at it like, yeah, no, you know, that's awful. I don't want people to know that about me. Or I can relate to it like, no, that's for power. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be who I am. That's an interpretation. I can tell you how many people come up to me and say, why'd you talk about that? And they were really saying to me, you know, you reminded me about my shit, and I don't really want to deal with it. <laughs> and how dare you do that? See what I'm saying? But to me, it's like, and then, of course, you know what I'd say to them? It's like, Uh, You're making a choice, dude. That's on you. It ain't got nothing to do with me. And it's not my business. But just seeing that, so when we look at things, so when the mind, and I can't tell you how many people stop meditating because the first thing they say is, you know, I'm looking at my mind and I can't make it stay focused on anything. It's like it's all over the place. And I can't do this. Instead of realizing, that is it. You're seeing what's there. (laughs) that's your mind (laughs) and it's untamed so Ajahn Sumato talks about following, you know how we say follow your heart he talks about training the heart then you can follow it so that's what we're talking about here train the heart so we can follow it but looking at our stuff is not so easy And remember what I said about unpleasant what do we do when it's unpleasant? aversion, I'm out of here I, I didn't sign up for this you can't make me do this, George. This is, this, is, this is really hard. Instead of realizing, yeah, it's doing that, but if you have the confidence and the faith and you just watch it that at some point it, you'll have, it'll be able to control it, and the best way to control it is not to try to control it. That's a good one, huh? But that's it. It's just, just be still and know, or just sit there and just watch the mind because we have to get intimate with how we suffer, Intimate how we cause our own suffering, how we put ourselves in jail. We're our own jailers. So that's the bad news. The good news is, if we're our own jailers, then we can let ourselves out. <laughs> so that's the thing. So when we have Thanksgiving, that we can we can decide to use the time to, to to be grateful for things like a human birth is precious, that we have places we can come. Two, and we're wide for success if we're willing to understand how we direct our attention and what we choose to focus on, what we choose to hold in mind, whether we let the mind be wholesome or unwholesome. It's not something where we, it just happens. We can we can we can control that by not controlling it, but, but just by understanding how do we get from growth mode into survival mode. And when we're in or how do we get from growth mode to survival mode? And then when we're in survival mode, how do we get to growth mode? But all we got to do is just know it's, okay, so I'm in survival mode. Or I talk about it in my book, The Two Wolves. You can feed the fair wolf or the love wolf. I don't know if you folks heard the Cherokee story about the grandfather with his grandson that says there's this, this, oh, this amazing battle going on inside of me, two wolves, one is fair, one is love. And the grandson said, which one is going to win? And the grandfather said, the one I feed. So the question is, which wolf are we feeding? And so we start to see that, and we start to talk about that stuff. So this idea of, of being thankful and being gra- grateful for the fact that we are human beings, we got Buddha nature, we have a Sangha, we have the teachings, and it's just a willingness, are we willing to look at our stuff and see how we can can relate to life in a way where we're not suffering so much and we can alleviate suffering, or we can find meaning in suffering. And this is what Viktor Frankl says, when we find meaning in suffering, it ceases to be suffering. Ergo, my substance abuse, when I look at it, it's meaning. Okay, I was dealing with one of those calaces. It was greed, hatred, or confusion, And I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't even acknowledge that there was such a thing. But now that I know that, then I can start to say, how do I change my mind so it's wholesome? And if the mind is right, everything else is going to be right. Where thought and deed is going to be different. So that sounds too damn simple. You mean if I have right view, everything else is right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So when you start off with love, this is what Gandhi said your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, your values become your destiny. That's an equation. So if I see beyond the illusion of separateness, I and the other are one, then maybe that's why during the marathon bombing in 2013, whenever it was, people were running towards the explosion and not away from it. What's up with that. That's a reflection. What's up with that? Well, they got beyond the illusion of separateness and they realized that they were, I and the others are one so they could not tear themselves away from trying to go and be of service. 9-11, during some of the hurricanes, we see it every once in a while, but it's, it's when we get beyond the illusion of separateness. But we can train ourselves to, to, do, to have that experience more often and realize that the best way for me to find myself, forgive myself, and just serve don't worry about getting paid or, or how you all feel about me. You know, that's painful. That's being in survival mode. I don't like that one. That's giving you all too much power. <laughs> that's what we do. Instead of just realizing, no, if I'm just being myself and just being loving, being compassionate, having appreciative joy, this is the one that is really challenging for folks to get, especially when I was working with the Miami Dolphins last year, and we had the miracle in Miami against the, the Patriots. Oh, my relatives would call me all kind of names. You you're a traitor. And I said, you should practice appreciative joy. <laughs> That's the antidote to, to envy or jealousy. <laughs> you know, the best team I always win. And I said, chill, dude. They still going to win the Super Bowl. It's just one game. Chill out. But that was, you get what I'm saying? And then when I was on the plane, going, going down to Miami on the plane with all the Patriot fans, obnoxious. They had all these rings and all these things on. And part of me is like saying, man, man I didn't realize it was that bad because, you know, I was always with the Patriots. And then I reflected and I said, you know something? Who wouldn't want to have fans that love them? So I could actually see, instead of them being obnoxious, I could say, yeah, okay, it is a little bit overkill. But at the same time, that's their way of identifying and, and, and supporting their team. So how can I be against that? So this is what we go through all the time. You can see it in the political arena right now, and, and my, my experience is know the truth. you got to start from facts and the truth, because if I didn't accept the fact that I had a substance abuse problem, I'd still be getting high and drinking. So anybody that says, okay, you know, that's one way of looking at it, you know, maybe you're not a drunk, maybe you just like drinking. Instead of realizing, no, we got to stop from what's real, what's happening right now in the moment, in the immediacy of experience, and once we acknowledge that, then we can do something about it. So if we keep thinking people, places, and things are causing us to suffer, we're going to be a victim. I'm not saying that things don't happen to us, but I'm saying no matter what happens to us, we get to choose our response. Sometimes when we don't, we can actually backtrack and then Learn how to change that so that we're responding in real time. So I don't know if I want to say much more than that, but I want to open it up to people that, that kind of reflect on Thanksgiving, what it means to you, and how we might be able to reflect on the fact that, you know, I'm grateful I can go to the bathroom. I'm grateful I can eat. And John Cabot's in, my friend, he said, as long as you're breathing, there's more right with you than what's wrong with you. And he said something else is really interesting. He said, people are complicated. I don't know if you all noticed that, but people are complicated, including myself. <laughs> so can we just end with a few moments of silence? Because we're sitting and being in the body and, and noticing that we're sitting and breathing, breathing in and breathing out. I'd like to offer a little compassionate uh, phrase may may all beings feel safe and protected may all beings be peaceful may all beings experience uh, joy and ease every day not just during the time of thanksgiving so once again may we feel safe and protected all beings May all beings feel peaceful. May all beings live with joy and ease. And I will, sing, I will ring the bell, the signal, the end. So I want to thank you all for being here and thanking you all for sharing this sacred space and this sacred time with everyone here.